swinging a fly ball to right field. This one is deep. And it's gone! A home run! Hardcore winner for Alex Avila! Swing and a miss! He got him on strike! Oh, baby! What is up, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, Tigers fans? and Spartan fans, and I would like to acknowledge all of the latter on coming back to East Lansing on the first Wednesday of the new year, highlighted by Richie Rich Homie Quan Casalino. <laughs> it's good to have you back, my partner it's in crime. It's good to be back. I'm. It's been probably around two months since I've been here. Sounds for, like two I months. I forgot too. what the studio looks like. Beautiful. Nice paint job. I'm loving it. Let's talk some tigers, Tony. Let's do it. It's also nice to see your face as opposed to just, just the phone line, which is... <laughs> A fabulous change of pace. Some people would disagree about seeing my face being a good thing, but we like Tony, it around Tony, here. Th- that's why. That's why we're doing this together. <laughs> okay, so it's been a little while since we've gotten to talk tigers, so I think we need to make some some pretty bold proclamations, just so people know that that we've still been paying attention and we know what's going on. I agree, very much so. All right, so I'm not worried. You seem to be worried, so we're gonna take. The, those angles right. on the entire team. And we can, we can start with the starting staff, which I think is finally rounding into shape. And last week, with the evidence of Porcello throwing 20 consecutive hitters with, uh, without uh, letting someone reach base, and then the next day, David Price throwing a complete game one hitter with no earned runs, and yet still getting a loss. And picking up the loss. How can you get a loss with zero earned runs. Even if it's one to zero, I, th- I feel like there should be a no decision. And that should be the only instance in baseball in which that there's a winner and no loser. Well, we, I think as, you know, being sportscasters, you know that... Someone's got to lose. Yeah, someone's someone's got to lose. And the win-loss stat means very little when you're looking at actual talents. That's even more important to take into consideration. But what are you thinking about this starting staff? Rounding into form or maybe not? I think as a starting staff, if Detroit has one saving grace the entire season, it's going to be the starting pitching. I mean, we've known that. I can't say anything bad about the big three, big four, if you count Verlander still. I mean, Price is going to be that guy. Scherzer's always going to be amazing at what he's doing. I'm loving that Porcello's coming into form. He's been the guy all year. I always thought he's going to get a little bit of a drop-off. Not so much. Especially after these last two starts. Are you kidding me? Eight innings, nine innings. It's been amazing. And then you can talk about Joe Farmer and whoever else is, you know, we're picking up jigsaw puzzles for the starting pitching. But we have our 3-4 when Verlander ever starts to pitch well again. Starting pitching, I'm not concerned about. That's the least of Detroit's worries. Do you want to know what I love about what you just said is you referred to the big three, and you mentioned Price and Scherzer, and you never said a third name until you said Porcello, yes? Was that the third-headed third third. monster? Mm-hmm. Anibal Sanchez, the ERA leader last year, and Justin Verlander, the former Cy Young winner, are not part of the of the big three. That's That doesn't seem too fair. And it's weird because coming into 2014, who was? Verlander one, Scherzer two. And not, Sanchez three and with Sanchez Porcello three. at four. They're cleaning out Stug. You know, Verlander hasn't shown that he's got what it takes this year. Porcello has. Price, you know, doesn't matter where he's pitching, he's going to be dominant. There's a new big three in Detroit, and we're going to have to accept it for what it is. Certainly is. And if you're producing, I don't care if your name is Porcello or Verlander. If Absolutely. you're getting wins and pitching innings, I want you on the bump. Exactly. But what do you think about this Anibal Sanchez situation with him potentially being out for the year after 
suffering a, a setback in a bullpen session on the 26th, I believe it was. Yeah, it was a few days ago. Uh, well, I'm going to just be a little biased here and said, I think Sanchez was my favorite. He was my tiger. And not a lot of people say that, but Anibal was my favorite player on the team because I always felt so bad for him because every time he'd start last season and many times this season, he'd pitch seven, eight innings, sometimes six, and he would go, you know, with two hits, no end runs, and then we get no support from him or the batting would have no support. He'd lose the game. He'd have such a great outing and pick up a loss. And maybe it's good because Sanchez would always be that guy who'd pitch 120 pitches through six innings and then make the bullpen do the rest. And with the Tigers, that's not going to cut it. So although it's bad that you're losing a great starting pitcher, ERA leader in many ways in the last couple of years for the Tigers, it might not be the worst thing in the world. It might be a crazy assumption, but it might not be the worst thing in the world. I agree. And this is very silver line mentality. It is. There is there's no longer that question of is who of who's because you only start four pitchers in the playoffs you have a rotation of four potentially three exactly in the ds and and that would that was gonna okay price definitely no question scherzer definitely no question but you could make the argument for porcello sanchez or verlander any of them to come out of the pen or to start right with Sanchez, and i think actually of the three sanchez probably had the most guaranteed spot in the rotation, just because Porcello's been looked at as that young guy, and Verlander, no one wants to th- put him in the pen because former Cy Young, former MVP, exactly. the the he's the best pitcher in the playoffs and still is until proven otherwise. Right. Plus, Porcello came out of the bullpen the years past, did a great job, so he's proven in the bullpen that he can take over. Verlander, How, not so much. Exactly. However. He's leading the bigs in wins. And yes, like we just mentioned earlier, wins and losses is not everything, but 15 and 4 really does speak for itself. Uh, yes, that means a lot more than his, nothing. His win loss record is one of the most representative. Yeah, because he can go deep in games. He can get, we saw it last game with 20 ground ball outs. I mean, he's doing what he needs to do keep the pitches low and get those outs the easy way. Ball down in the zone. Exactly. All right, so. I, I think it's very safe to say that our starting pitching is what we both feel. Right. Co- I can I can be negative about. all I want, but the starting pitching, you got to give it credit where it is. Dombrowski's done a fantastic job of piecing together those guys. Right. Let's move on to something that we should be negative about, Tony, because I need to get angry about this team. <laughs> should we go to, <laughs> it is up to you, we can go to the batting, which has been iffy, or we can go to relieving, which has been... If you want to get angry, you know where we're well, going. Well, we're going to the relieving. You know where we're angry. going. I'm going to get intense about this because... We've been over this for, I don't know, how many podcasts and how many years now we've had to do this. Too many. Uh, we record this on the 27th of today, and yesterday they uh, signed Chad, or they picked up, no signing, uh, picked up Chad Qualls off revocable waivers from the Astros. He was a closer there for the last couple months, had about 15 saves, I think. Three, four, 14 of 17. 14 of 17. Not great, not awful. Sounds like a bullpen of ours. Make a great fit. Three ERA, whip 1.13. I mean, he's not going to be a don- he's not going to be the closer for us. He's going to be a setup guy if Chamberlain falls in the playoffs. I th- I don't even know if he'll make the cut and pitch. He probably will, but we talk about well, Nathan close. Can Soria do it when he comes back from that uh, the oblique injury? Who's going to step up and be that guy? Chamberlain's hasn't looked as good as he did earlier in the year. There's no standout here for closer, and I know you were talking about how Soria. Okay, Leland, Osmus needs to make a decision. It needs to be Soria or Nathan coming in the ninth every time. And I think it just needs to be Soria. There needs to be consistency because Nathan isn't doing the job. 
what I've been hearing, and I, I use hearing as the the sources and all the, all the Tigers uh, front office and beat reporters and things of that nature, all the guys who I follow, I've been hearing that it's leaning towards a decision has already been made. And really? Joaquin Soria is the closer, just as you know, he's been on the 15-day DL. Right. And so, I mean, who he can't close if he can't play. <laughs> right. So Joe Nathan has been... Uh, closing for the last couple weeks as he has been the rest of the season however the tigers haven't found themselves in that many uh close games to close this last week but that's a, another story for another day the the bullpen concerns are valid there's no question about it arguably the worst bullpen to date however this is when it all turns around there's there's no doubt in my mind okay there's a little doubt in my mind but i like i like to say it like that so Chad Qualls, shade over three ERA, of coming from the Houston Astros, that that's a nice pickup. It is. You might not know his name because he's with a with a small market team, bottom bottom of the division. He's a good pitcher, and he picked up a save Astros against the Tigers. Bottom of the division. What are you saying, Tony? Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Fourth place. Excuse me. I'll help you out though. One, two, three ERA in the month of August. So you know what? Pitching well recently. Pitching well, very well recently. A lot better than Nathan can say. Jim Johnson, who just got his first one, two, three inning in a Tigers uniform. How many starts did that take? I don't uh, know I if we have that. I think it took four or five. Four or five? Yeah. Okay, that's a lot. Yeah, that was one of the uh, the other time they didn't have an earned run was when he walked two guys and put two men on base. Could have been worse. I still don't think he's a he's anything special. You know, if the Athletics who are making a playoff run are releasing him, I think yeah. they, they, they're seeing something that they don't want to. But well, you know what? We got plenty of guys. We'll shuffle them around. I, yeah, I know. I just I can't hold out. Like Jim, Jim Johnson, uh, other than other than this year, two last two years, fifty plus saves both season. Last last year, two thousand thirteen, Joe Nathan had either the best or darn near close to the best year of his Hall of Fame career. Right. And and no matter what, if his ERA is seven, eight, or cheese this year, he's gonna be a Hall of Famer. And it and it doesn't matter because there's yep. nothing we can do about it. Jabba Chamberlain, unfortunately, not pitching as well of late, but he, he's had a good year all year, and he's by, been by far our best bullpen pitcher. You know, and I think what really changed Jabba was that one time that he had to come into the game cold and blew that big three-run three run lead because he really hasn't been the same since. And I'll look up exactly what I'm talking about to get more specific, but he talked about it post-game. He was like, I've never come straight cold onto the field. I had as many pitches as I could have, but I just wasn't feeling the same. And I think since that game a couple weeks ago, he's just been a little bit shaky. Not horrible, but a, a little bit shaky. Certainly. Concern. And that might have to do with the whole uh, how, the whole Jabba treatment from New York because they were they were throwing him in the pen, in the starting rotation. Right. I mean, wherever it was convenient for New York to put him, they were putting him in. So he he got used to having like, oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna be starting today. I got uh, I got three hours to to warm up, to, to do my yoga, do my stretches, run the outfield, look over the game plan. But I mean, even though he has been coming out of the bullpen all year, so you think he should be adjusted. There's no, there's nothing you can really compare to coming in cold into a major league baseball game right, and trying yeah. to get out hitters. It's a lot of pressure, and you know what? He's a very good shade of what Nathan was when he was when Job was at the Yankees because it was that guy who was switching, didn't have support of the fans because he was blowing a couple saves, and you know he wanted to get out of there. It's sort of what Nathan's going through now in Detroit, where a guy who's maybe Nathan is more tested than Chamberlain was in New York, but 
you know they're Certainly. both having some issues with the fans they are i don't know if you heard last night though what was the, there was some uh semblance of a of a joe nathan chant it was what was it let's go joe or yeah it was it, well it, it was scattered first yeah. of all there wasn't a whole lot of support for him out there yeah i know but i but i heard it through my tv set and i thought i was <laughs> thought i was hearing things and if we want to just talk briefly about joe nathan because we should give him some credit that he's getting the area down slowly he started at seven this year he's down to five two five and the only thing that worries me about joe nathan is as he gets more you know as he picks up the pieces from what that horrible June was of his, uh, he's getting more people out, but he's also walking more, putting more men on base, and he's doing the Valverde dance where he's getting people on, but then slowly working his way out of it. And he's had some issues with the fans and crowd support and you know, flipping certain baseball mitts around certain fields. And you know, it's a little bit of an issue, but he's walked nine people this month, which is more than his... June and July combined, and that's concerning. Yeah, it's hurting. But he's blown one save in his last seven, eight opportunities. So maybe some. It seems like Joe Nathan has gone through these streaks all season. Uh, Like the first, I don't know, month or so, right? Uh, Like okay, first two weeks when the Tigers were around five hundred, maybe seven and seven, eight and seven, still in first place, but but barely. Joe Nathan had already blown his first save. He was his ERA was like eight or something and I would and then we had done a podcast and I was already writing him off right and then I go I go to Europe I come back he's converted nine consecutive saves hasn't given up a base runner from May 19th to to June uh, like or no, I'm sorry, until May 19th, from the beginning of May to May 9th. There was like a three-week stretch. Didn't give up right. a base runner. And All everyone, the second half of April was flawless. Yeah, everyone thought he had turned it around, and like finally, that's the Joe Nathan we're getting. Right. And then he goes back. His ERA skyrockets all the way back up to 7.79 in yep. June. That's that's over halfway through the season. And he's worked closer. all season to get that down. So, I mean. You're right, and you know, this is going to be the shakiest part of the podcast because as the positive guy for the Tigers – you you put your disclaimer on the podcast. You said you know, it's a Tigers fan. Yep, it's hard to distance yourself from the team. It is. It's hard hard to be um, trying not to be a fan first. You got to be objective, <laughs> right? But there's just there's just so much potential with like that that uh, that best season or one of the best seasons I re- I alluded to earlier that Nathan had last year. He had a one point three nine ERA with forty three <sighs> saves. In 67, 67 games, it's unbelievable. Obviously, not all of those were um, were save opportunities, but one point three nine compared to five point two five. That's that's not the same pitcher. He's right. not. I, I mean, oh, I absolutely agree. He's throwing meatballs down the middle of the plate. You know, when you see the game against Tampa Bay, where he's, I mean, his fastball right down the middle at ninety three miles an hour. No movement. I mean, yeah, no movement. Any hitter is going to be any hitter with an eyeball is going to be able to see that pitch coming down the middle. But you know, and this might. I don't want to be that guy who says Nathan would have more blown saves if, but I'm going to say that Nathan would have more blown saves if we weren't getting more runs because, and this is a good segue to our next section because he's the last four opportunities that he's come out for a save. He's had a three run lead. It was, it was four one against Seattle when he came in eight, five against Tampa Bay, eight, five against Minnesota and five, one against or five, two against New York. So he's had the maximum amount of save, savable games where the lead is three runs because after that it's not a save opportunity right the most room for error to work with in any save better way to put it and i believe the only game in which he didn't give up a run was that that yankees game on 
the, the 26th. Right. And every other game, that 4-1 that to one game became 4-2 to two with another base one. runner on. And then... Absolutely. Every game they score. And that's the, that's kind of the whole Jose, Jose Valverde like I, ideal. And... <laughs> If we're gonna go back far enough, that's like that's like a Todd Jones. It's like Fernando Rodney. It's it's bend but don't break, but it's going way too far. Right. And too many times they've broken. In in Jose Valverde's infamous forty nine for forty nine save season, he was he, infamous. He, I love the word infamous I know. because it's positive at the same time. Absolutely soul crushing. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know. That's why that's why it was so just Yep. Oh, I know what you mean. I've been following the Tigers. And that's why I get frustrated because it's the same issues since 2006. When when the first when the first opportunity was there against yep. the Cardinals, almost uh, a decade later, talking about the same problem. All right, let's talk positive, Tony. I'm getting depressed over here. Okay, I'm, I'm in back in East Lansing, and you're making me depressed. I've been here for an hour. That's hard to do. It is in this lovely I, city. I love East Lansing. All right, well, if we're going positive, we're going back to the offense. And some of you may say, "How is that positive? The Tigers have had." an offense that has been one of the bigger letdowns in, in the bigs, right? Wrong. You're absolutely wrong. You're wrong. Don't even think they are. <laughs> and, and the numbers speak for themselves. You actually are wrong. If you think that the Tigers are not one of the best, one of the best offenses in Tell baseball numbers, Tony runs 606 fourth in the bigs, batting average 274 second in the bigs on base percentage, which I, I don't know if I'm the only one who thinks on base percentage is more important than batting average, but it is. Just like ERA is more important than wins. The wins might be the prettier number. How many hits you get might be the prettier number. If you're getting on base, you're scoring runs, and that's going to translate to the wins at the end of the day. However, on base percentage, 330. First in the bigs. One out of every three Tigers. Okay, 333 would be one out of every three. Close Just enough. about yep. one of every three Tigers hitters is reaching base. That's about one an inning. That's best in the bigs. Slugging percentage, 426. Second best in the majors. With... With four offensive categories that are all top four, the fact that the Tigers are in second place in their division speaks to this bullpen that we have been going on a rant on forever. Right. And you can you, the only person that would be criticized unfairly is going to be Miguel Cabrera because he hasn't had an MVP season. I mean, right? It's stupid to think that because what's Cabrera hitting three three hundred three oh eight oh three oh eight three oh eight with seventeen home runs and eighty nine RBIs. Home run is down and. To, way down. Way down, way down. But what's not down is, you know, RBIs and stuff like that. And doubles that he's getting because he's hit around, I don't even know now. RBI, RBIs are down a little bit. But his, I know his doubles are way up. He has 41 doubles already this season. There you go. Which, last season, 26. Okay, so. See? In, okay, in his, in his uh, triple crown to that, uh, 2012 MV, uh, season, when he had four, he had 40 doubles, 44 home runs. That's 84 extra base hits. Already this season, he has 58 extra base hits and is on pace for around 77, if I'm projecting this correctly, which is not far behind his triple crown season. Yes, the power numbers are down, but Miguel Cabrera through today, through August 27th, has now reached base 17 consecutive games, which is tied for the longest streak in the majors. All right. We are going nuts about how he's not hitting the ball over the fence. The guy is on base every day. Yes. Oh, 310. Boo hoo. What a terrible batting <laughs> average. Bad for an MVP. I player. mean, like, like, give me a break. He, he can't do everything. And for a little, there was a stretch in which it, it, you almost could start to blame Cabrera. Like, 
You really need to pick this up. Your right. batting average has fallen about For forty about points. One week he was bad. Right, he was cold. But that's you know what? If he's going to be going one week in a five month season, I'm okay with it. I don't know anyone who hasn't gone a week, other than maybe Cabrera in the last two years, exactly. which is why people are freaking out. Right. Yeah. It's so different for him, and you can see that there's a little bit of lost power when you're hitting opposite field because yep. in the 19 inning marathon game against Toronto, in the top of the 19th, Cabrera had that amazing hit opposite field that was about a foot away from the warning track, and it was the second time in two games that he hit opposite field warning track but didn't go over the fence and you saw so much frustration in his face because that was him coming off of the end of that slump of his he needed something to break out of it and i've never seen Cabrera more animated than him putting his hands over his head and just sighing to himself because first of all he wanted that game over yeah unfortunately it ended the wrong way the happening later but you saw that just he needed he's losing a little bit of power but Certainly. i think he's made up for it by being able to locate the ball better and, and even teams now i think have understood that they can't really uh, pull a shift on Cabrera in the infield because he's oh. just so so technical with where he's going to put that ball every single at bat. Just like Victor. Just but like Victor. What what gets me about Cabrera is I'm not I'm not too concerned with like with with the end with the end results because I know I know they're going to be there. It's when it's when he at the beginning of the season and beginning is actually not the proper word for the first half of the season. Cabrera was swinging at pitches. That were really uncabrera-like. I don't, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I know for a fact that his swing percentage at balls out of the zone is up, and really? the strikes that he has taken is also up, which is telling me that he's n- not, not maybe not 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 seeing the ball as well, but just I don't know. He that decision making that more aggressive perhaps, perhaps for whatever pressing reason. trying to do too much since he's not hitting these home runs. Fair enough for. For whatever it is, that was abnormally high. And over the last month, month and a half, just to my eye, he's been taking much better at bats. Well, you could say that that's to the fact that we lost Prince Fielder and maybe Miggy thought that he needed to do it more himself. And it's clear that he doesn't because Victor Martinez has been a fielder. Uh, he's won a fielder in almost every way. but Every pot. But that was earlier in the season. So, I mean, yeah. And Victor has been... I want to talk to you about this because... I still think we said that uh, Martinez brothers, in a way to say it, uh, they were going to be a flash in the pan because obviously Victor's so good, but uh, his counterpart, uh, JD. JD Martinez, is just, I think that he's here to stay. And I'm so happy for him because he's been, especially the last couple games, getting RBIs on base, big hits too. I want, I want to know, as your positive Tigers fan, your outlook on JD Martinez. He's the best outfielder on the Detroit Tigers roster. Okay. All right. And I love it. He was maybe fourth going into the season, maybe fifth. I would have taken an injured Andy Dirt, Toy Hunter, Austin Jackson, back when he was on the team, Rajay Davis, all for sure starting over whoever J.D. Martinez oh, is coming from the Houston Astros. I mean, he's a 250 hitter on the worst team in baseball last year, and he didn't even start. How do you think you're going to get a chance to play with the almighty Tigers? Oh, please. Like, <laughs> That's when the Tigers needed. Actually, they didn't employ that mentality. That's that's just kind of the the fan mentality. Maybe at the beginning of the season, and I mean, Brad Ausmus has not been able to take this guy out of the lineup. Right. He has the same amount of home runs as Miguel Cabrera, aforementioned. If not, <laughs> if amazing. not, I love it. If not, he has one more. He might have hit his 18th. No, he has he has 17 home runs. 17. Right, okay. right on the number. Same same amount. 17, 3, 5, 352 OBP. I mean, it's just, I love it. And he's played, I 
do you have the amount of games he's played offhand? I think it's uh, around 30 or 40 less than Miguel Cabrera. Yeah, he started about a month late. So 2014, he's played 91 games for the Tigers. So 91 games. Miguel Cabrera has played substantial. 128. Substantially less. That's about three quarters. Of 37 it. less games. He has the same amount of home runs as Miguel. And I hope he keeps it up in the postseason because we need those people in the postseason. Can't be a 2012, 2012 repeat against the Giants. I see no reason why to think this w- this wouldn't keep up. I mean, he was he's hitting 345 for a while, and then well, that's I, gonna go down. Yeah, exactly, right. exactly. And then and and that's not what concerns me. No one's gonna hit 345 for a season. Yeah, yeah. Robinson Cano is the leading hitter in the American League, and he's hitting about 330. Right. Same with Victor Mar- or Jose Altuve, excuse me. Jose Altuve, hitting, oh yeah, Jose Altuve hitting about 340, but that's gone down in recent years, in recent days. So and. But J.D. Martinez, that was evident, was never, you're not going to hit 345 for a season. But as soon as that was dropping, guys who aren't proven major league hitters can sometimes re- like remember how difficult this game really is. Right. And, right. And, and, let it, and let it get to them. His batting average has not fallen more than like three thousandths of a point below 300 all season. The lowest I've seen him is 298. And, and so why, why would I think that he's going to fall off? Right. Yep. I, I just I just wanted to reiterate the, reiterate the fact that I think JD is just such a solid player and so consistent, and it's awesome to me. He's currently at three twelve. So there you go. You're po- positive, positive batting. So we got so if, all right. Scale of one to ten, the, your confidence that the Tigers' batting will keep up if fingers crossed we make it to the postseason. I got about a a. A seven, seven in confidence, and okay. you'd say, "Why? Why not more confident?" Because I'm—I don't think they're going to keep up. I think they're going to improve, and I think that's finally going to happen. Because it was Miguel Cabrera is finally getting some rest. Two days he got—he had an off day Monday. <laughs> two days. And I know. Two days. I know. Miguel oh, Cabrera know. hasn't had two days in a row where he didn't play a baseball game other than the All Star break, and he's playing in the in the All Star game. So, I mean, so a good confidence level, and you think they're going to improve going into September? Oh, I, no, I certainly do, because that's when, that's when big-time players make big-time plays, and that's what the <laughs> Tigers are about. The Tory Hunters who have been there, the Ian Kinslers who have been there, Victor, J.D., Miguel, Rajay's been flying all over the place right? still. Yeah, I mean, this is, a, this is a deep team. There's weapons all over the place. And offense, other than starting pitching, is this team's forte. Defense certainly is not. And the bullpen is probably worse than their AAA counterpart. But So, so I, no, being I mean, the positive guy that I am, I have to believe that it's going to keep up, if not improve. What would you say? No, I, I think you're right. I think I, I hope you're right, because we've seen in previous years that, you know, Detroit's fallen off the end of the end of the batting spectrum when you go to the postseason, but I think you're right. In September, we're going to finally get a sense of urgency in a team we haven't seen in the last three years. And hopefully, we're going to start getting these pesky Royals out of the, our division, Tony. Yes. Let's let's talk about why we are in this current predicament that we're in, which is talking negatives, positives, and throwing the word if before playoffs. Right. Ladies and gentlemen, if the Tiger season ended today, they would be watching October baseball. Right. 
They're half a game out of the second wild card spot, which is not even a guarantee in the playoffs. It is a play-in game, in my estimation, to the playoffs. That wild card game, if you play one game and lose, you're not in the playoffs. You're in game 163. I will never think otherwise, so <laughs> save your time. And and that's not where the Tigers belong. Oh, they don't they don't want that, and they don't... Yeah, they can't do that because a one-game... With the bullpen, one game playoff is not going to work. Could be detrimental, and obviously that is to any the case for any team. But I think the Tigers would be one of the worst teams to do a one game playoff. You know, you know, you know. I'm, I'm, just, I'm thinking, and as, as I go, and I'm gonna totally scratch that. And now everyone's gonna think I have no idea what I'm yeah. talking about. Maybe they're right, Tony. Maybe. <laughs> I know, I know. Maybe I'm maybe I'm just making stuff well, up know. as I go. Who's letting me behind this microphone? <laughs> David well, Price. Explain it then. David ahead. Price in a one in a one game set, you're not you're not letting it go to the pen. No bullpen pitcher for the Tigers would pitch. David Price would pitch until his arm fell off. <laughs> and then Rick Porcello would go in. Because this is a must win game. Then you it throw is. Scherzer game one. Throw Verlander game two. Porcello, who only came in a little bit of the back end, could throw three. Price ready for four again. Okay, so you're confident. See, I would go a different way with that. I would say that it's a one-game playoff. Both teams are going to have their absolute aces out. And with a stacked rotation like Detroit, maybe it's not such a positive thing. But I can see we're going with it. If Austin decides to make that decision and say, Porcello, you're in for the ninth, perhaps... Would he do that? Crazy. It's crazy, but does Osmus? I always fear that Osmus doesn't have the team's respect yet because we've had it, Leland had it for so many years, and Osmus is always, I think, a little timid about making those big decisions with veteran players who maybe have more rapport than he does on the Tigers. Certainly, which is why we saw at the beginning of the season, I mean, if, if Leland was going out there, unless your name was Justin Verlander, he didn't even need to signal to the bullpen because by the time right. I, he always would, but you, I mean, you knew what was going on. Exactly. And which is the case for most managers. However, with Brad Osmus, I can't even count the amount of times I've watched him walk out to, even in the last month, David Price, who is a brand new member of this Tigers team. Right. He walked out there, bases loaded in the eighth inning, one out, and, and looked him in the eye and asked. Uh, and how and how Pri- you feeling? Yeah. Price said, I'm good. <laughs> Yeah. Let him pitch, and now he looks like a genius because Price worked his way out of exactly. the jam. Earlier in the season, the same thing happened with Verlander, and the, and Leland might have done the same thing, and it backfired. And so now Osmus is this young manager who can't handle these players. I think, I think that's just baseball. I remember three years back, two years back, four years back, it was some random game against the Cubs. Tigers are down four to three with two outs. Okay. Leland well, wait, points well, wait, at Ryan Rayburn. And has him pinch hit, two-run walk-off home run, and now Jim Leland suddenly knows how to push every button in <laughs> baseball ever. Right. Some, sometimes you catch lightning in a bottle. Yeah. And that's I mean, that's a 162-game season, though. You know, you're going to get that every once in a while. A blind squirrel gets a nut every once that's in a while. That's right. So, I, I mean... I agree. It's just a different managerial style, I think. Osmus goes out there and talks to his players. Leland makes the call for them. Certainly. And hopefully Detroit takes that one way or another. So do you think Detroit has got how many games against Kansas City in the coming month? I think we got to do a little counting here. I think, I think it's, it's two, two more series. Two more series, six so. games, one home, one away. The away game comes between the 9th and the 21st of September. That is going to be a huge nice. and unbelievably huge series. And after the 7th of September, Detroit plays nothing but AL Central teams. For the, for the final, what is that, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9? About 21 games? Well, yeah, 20 games. games. Tony, 
honestly, I don't know if Kansas City is going to cool down. They have been, if you look at their, their chart on a win-loss ratio, they have been unbelievable in the past month. It just it, on par with the Nationals, who have been just absolutely skyrocketing in the past month, and I don't know where it's coming from. They've lo- they've lost two of their last three, and oh, they oh are still what is it twenty six and seven? Yeah, in their in their last like thirty three games, best team in the bigs by so over that span by so far. Not just in terms of win loss record, but but the way they're doing it. They had a week where they didn't trail. I know they were not behind for like fifty five innings. Uh-huh. Not behind in a game ever once. They've lost six games in the month of August. <laughs> the Tigers have lost six games in the past twelve games or something like that. Yeah, it's, it's insane. And I, I gotta I gotta hand it to them. Good for you, Kansas City Royals, because yep. I gave you less than no chance to win this series about, you know, or to win this division about three weeks ago. <laughs> it's funny too because yeah, even as soon as three weeks ago they were countered out. But we talked about it earlier, very early in the season when we came on podcast, probably four or five, and we had Mr. Jonathan Yells on, and he was talking about the second best team in the AL Central, Kansas City Royals, out of all the teams to choose because the White Sox were making a push earlier in the year, but. They've fallen off, and here Kansas City is. They were a threat with their base running and their hitting, and crazy pitching, obviously. But that goes without saying. Bullpen is the difference. Exactly, the bullpen. Wade is the Davis, difference. Greg Holland, they shut it down at mm-hmm. the end of games, and forty saves for Greg Holland this year. When how much does Joe Nathan have? Twenty five. Could you? Twenty six. Something. Maybe? Yeah. I think I think twenty five. I'm not sure on the exact Tony, number. Tony, Tony. However, I know worried, I know that if the Tigers had Greg Holland, how many? Not not would they be up? It's it's a matter of how many games up in the division would this team be if they had someone who they could just rely on and know is going to shut it down at the end of the game. And Greg Holland has not he has not been perfect, darn near, no. but not perfect. You're allowed to blow some saves. He, he has losses. He has blown saves. But he's he's doing what a playoff caliber closer does. Right. And we know better than anyone, there's no such thing as a perfect closer. Because even those with a perfect save ratio are going to blow games where there isn't a save situation. They're going to blow big games in playoff opportunities. And, yeah, do you need someone like Greg Holland? No. But do you want somebody who's going to be consistently performing for your team every night? Because when you get to the postseason, all those 50 saves that you had in 2014 aren't going to matter. All the managers are going to get those two or three you want to count. Yeah. And that's, I, I actually couldn't have said that better at all. Right. Uh, yeah, I'm amazing, Tony. That's what I'm trying to say. <laughs> Master with words. But what I'm worried about is that if the Tigers squeeze into the playoffs, win that one game playoff, there's a very real chance that the Tigers face the athletics in the ALDS. A month ago, the teams that were probably going to meet in the ALCS and possibly decide the World Series then. Yeah. And, and these, these teams that, the the angel or the excuse me the A's had like a six or seven game lead on the Angels, right. and, much like Detroit with KC. And over the last month, yeah, the Angels might be the next hottest team, like you said, to the Nationals, right? And the other than the Royals, this is off topic, but the Nationals have. Did you see their six straight walk off victories or five out of six walk off victories? Oh my goodness, no! I I had heard that it got to three straight, and I had I. Yeah, it's not sequitur here very quickly. But yes, the Nationals had won 10 straight and five other six victories during that time were walk-off wins. 
this August, Tony, has been un- it's been nuts. Uh, what do we do as the Tigers? We're just caught up in a wave of teams that are crashing over us it's, very quickly, too. It's true, but let, let's get, let's get this ball rolling. Tony, we're scared. What's going on here? Three, three games in a row. Yes, three whole wins in a row. It sounds crazy. David Price on the mound, primetime, 7.08 against the Yankees on ESPN, Wednesday Night Baseball. And then follow that with a, with a Thursday day game. I'm not sure the significance of the day game following it, but Price pitched very well in his Tigers debut against the Yankees. Right. Eight innings, I believe, didn't get a decision, but was stellar Was and has only gotten better. He's and been like, solid the I entire mean, season. You, you listen to Rod Allen and Mario and Pemba try to talk about this guy because they, they're, they're used to watching all, all of our big, impressive players all over the field. But they're just like, and we've watched what he's done against the Tigers for for now four or five years. And he's always been impressive. But I don't think anyone truly understood how much of a horse, or as my friend Anthony Fino Serafino would say, Haas, this guy is. Because he is. (laughs) Yeah, he is. Yeah, absolutely. 10 strikeouts, 120 pitches, 8 or 9 innings. Consistently, all the time. And I'm very glad we picked him up, but at the same time, it was like a curse because we lost two big guys for you know the second half of 2014. It was tough, but again, we needed starting pitching, possibly. But if we're gonna get anybody, I'm glad we got Bryce. Last question before before I let you go here. So, yes or no? Are the Tigers making the playoffs? Oh, Tony, Tony, on the spot. Do I have to say it quickly? Yes. Yes. They are. Okay. I, I don't know are if they, that's a homer decision. But are yes. they winning the division? No, I don't think they are. It's, it's going to be that second wild card spot. Yes, I think so. I think it'll be, yeah. I think it'll be the first, well, well, it doesn't matter, I guess, at that point. But it'll be a wild card spot. And we're going to have to claw our way up. I, honestly, I think I do. I think we beat the Royals in these series, at least one of the two series. But I don't know if. Because Kansas City has, what, the second or third easiest schedule remaining? Easiest remaining schedule. Easiest remaining schedule in the MLB. Detroit Detroit is fifth. Detroit's not too far behind. Because, honestly, because we're playing Cupcake AL Central teams. It's been four years since we've really had competition in this division. And this is what we do. We're, we're, we're so flailing hard. about, Tony. We're losing our minds over here. Yeah. The White Sox, was it? It wasn't last year. It was two years ago two when years ago. when yep. when De- when Detroit was down in the final week of the season, they were down a couple games to the to the White Sox right. before before sweeping them and finally clutching the division. And it, well, that's true. And 2012 was that year where White Sox came close, and 2011 was the year that Cleveland went absolutely ballistic in, in the first two months of the season. It went 41 and 16 or something like that, and then just absolutely yeah oh, dropped off. The fall off. And but yeah, it's been it's really been 2010 since we've had a real opportunity against the Twins and. And then here we are. Yeah, it it all comes full circle. My last thought that I'm going to leave everyone on is this: in two, and I've I've discussed this before, and I'm I know this won't be the last time I bring it up because this is as much as it pained me at the time and still pains me to think about. This is one of my favorite baseball examples: 2009 Detroit Tigers three game lead on the Minnesota Twins, and we're facing this. Kansas City Royals team who is in last place, nothing to play for. Right. If the Tigers win one game or Minnesota loses one game, they clinch. The Tigers were swept. The Twins sweep. The Tigers now have to go in to Minnesota to play game 163, which I think is the equivalent of now what is the wild card game, <laughs> and then lost. Yep. Three days, three games, 
a fourth day, fourth game in a fourth day, lose all four, and you're out of the playoffs, and you, you could have almost walked backwards into the playoffs. You might not have even had to play a game. All that had to happen was Minnesota lose. Right. So I'm saying... Oh, yeah, one, anybody remembers that. One and a half out with, with and still in August. This isn't even September yet. With six games to play against against the team you're chasing, there's so much room that can happen. It, it's... I, I think the Tigers are going to... I think they're not going to catch the Mariners, who would be the wild card team, and they're going to catch the Royals and win the division. Hmm. Tony, I hope you're right. We will certainly find out. Thank you for listening. That's all the time we have for Tigers Talk. For Tony Garcia and Richie Casolino, I'm out.